0: put the spring back into your step and into your home too shop blinds.com right now and save up to 45 percent. up to 45 percent off for a limited time at blinds.com blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply
1: yeah so let's start off by saying let's not judge me by the rest of the australians that you've met because um (laughs) i did a i did a thing with uh ryan roland smith grant bell from peter Morland, and we're just talking and all of a sudden we're like look Anytime someone brings up that you're Australian, you're
2: like, ah, oh, no, don't, please don't say that name. Please don't say this guy. Please don't just associate me with those guys. And we all have the same, same exact expression of the way that it went down. We're like, no, no, no.
1: We need to separate ourselves from some of the people that have come over because we do have the reputation of being somewhat
3: crazy. Call that a knife? This is a knife. That's not a knife. That's a spoon. All right, all right, you win. <laughs> I see you've played knifey-spoony before. <laughs> That sounds like it's gonna be a fun part of White Sox Nation, of White Sox seasons to come. That was Liam Hendricks, the White Sox new closer. He was on with Danny Parkins and Cody Decker yesterday. The full interview, we will bring that back to you in the one o'clock hour. He is a lot of fun. The egotistical narcissist, as he once called himself, and that is going to be how closing games is going to go for the White Sox. And it looks like he'll have many opportunities to do that. So let's find out just what this latest move means. And we uh, we here on Saturday suckage, Steve Rosenblum and Mark Grody. We uh, go to the guest hotline brought to you by Alpamani Nissan. And we welcome in from Sox Nation from with Josh Nelson. And Sox Machine will, Josh, what do you think? You got the best closer on the market for your team. This seems yep. like if you're ever talking about checking all the boxes, Rick Hahn's doing that with a, a Sharpie that is um, probably going to keep going. But for now, this looks like everything you needed, your, your whole shopping list is being checked off.
2: Yeah, for the spending parameters that Rickon may have, obviously after the 2020 season uh, with the pandemic, with owners not making as much money as they have in the past, if if, if this is the end, like this is as much as Rickon can possibly spend this off season from Jerry Reinsdorf sending down a budget, I think he's done a good job this off season, especially acquiring. As you mentioned now, Liam Hendricks, the best closer in the game, and Lance Lynn uh, to really bolster the starting rotation, uh, especially year one through three, and then allow the exciting young arms like Dylan Cease, Ronaldo Lopez, and Michael Kopech uh, fill out the, the back end of the rotation. I would feel more comfortable if they'd spent an extra $10 million to improve on the margins, bring some more depth into the team, because some of the depth I just don't trust as far as a talent perspective, especially like backup catcher. I think you can add another starting pitcher uh, to help provide to protect yourself just in case if somebody gets hurt in spring training or Lopez or Cease don't improve enough that you feel confident to have both in your starting rotation. You can live with one to at least start the season. But if they don't have that extra $10 million, then I agree with you. I think Rick Hahn has done a good job. And looking at how nobody else in the American League until yesterday, when the New York Yankees signed DJ LeMahieu and Corey Kluber, nobody else in the American League is doing much. Uh, so, if you're a White Sox fan, you got to feel pretty confident right now that if the season started tomorrow, I think it's Yankees and White Sox as the top two contenders in the American League.
1: That's incredible to say and, and to hear, <laughs> considering where the Sox had to come from in the last five years or so. And here's another part to this too, Josh. And we talk about some of the, you know, the depth in the starting rotation, the Sox could have one of those situations where, and I, and, and I don't think any of us can guarantee this at this point where you have that shut down bullpen where mm-hmm. beyond the fifth inning, you become like those Kansas City Royals teams, and I know there's plenty of other examples. The Cleveland Indians for a while had something like that. It would would assume that some of these guys like Matt Foster and Cody Hoyer, as good as they were, take the next jump. But you already have Aaron Bummer, maybe Garrett Crochet could be part of that. Do you think they could have that shutdown bullpen where you don't have to worry so much about the depth in the starting rotation?
2: absolutely and you mentioned as far as all the key names especially in the sixth inning uh you don't have to lean on ceason lopez to get you through six innings you're just going to be asking them can you get me through five innings because then we're going to have cody hoyer come in and then or we can go to evan marshall and garrett crochet is going to start the season the bullpen and if he hands the ball off to aaron bummer Bummer takes care of the eighth inning, and now you're in trouble because now you have to face Hendricks in the ninth inning. It really shortens up the game. And this is what the successful teams do, Mark, so well, is that, you know, every team can field three really good starting pitchers. And if they're all lined up in a series, you like your chances of winning that series. But the difference between teams that win the division and don't is how well they perform in the back end of the starting rotation. And if Tony La Russa has confidence in his bullpen and he has the confidence that he can get at least five innings from that number four, number five starter, it's going to go a long way for the Chicago White Sox this year. And I do expect that they, you know, after signing Hendricks and now looking at this bullpen and the entire pitching staff as a whole, my expectation is they should win 90 plus games uh, in this upcoming season. Where I have concerns, again, is what are they going to do with backup catcher and you know how they're going to handle the DH. But as you mentioned, the progress the White Sox have made in this rebuild, if those are your concerns as an American League team, then that's great <laughs> because you can always address that during spring training or you could always get another bat uh, before the trade deadline in July. So I understand when Rick Hahn told the media – Uh, Yesterday, my team is on the court referencing the, the Hoosiers movie quote. If he feels confident to start the season with this squad, I think he's got a lot of reason to be confident, knowing that I have to also be prepared to add pieces before the trade deadline to give this team a really good shot of maybe winning the American League pennant in 2021.
3: We're talking with Josh Nelson of Sox Machine. He and Jim Morgalis do terrific work. It's wonderful reading. It's in-depth stuff. It's thoughtful. And we're happy that Josh is able to join us on the radio today on The Score. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody with you. If you got to, let's say you got to pick one, Josh. And you you talked about there's trepidation in your voice, and I get it. And you you look at what's going to start the season with obviously an eye, the same eye that Rick Hahn looks at. October going deep, winning a ring. It's all about that. It's all about the bling. you They have to, they are all pointed toward that. If your choice was your $10 million for a DH or a starting pitcher, what would you sign? I would
2: go the starting pitcher route because every team to get through a 162 game season and Major League Baseball seems dead set on playing 162 games in 2021 needs eight to nine starting pitchers at some point to get through the season. I'm having a hard time coming up with eight to nine names for the White Sox. So my thinking is, is that Ronaldo Lopez is going through a pitching motion change. And for some pitchers like Lucas Giolito, it's seamless for some it's not. So instead of counting on Ronaldo Lopez being your number five starter, I would contemplate bringing back old friend Jose Quintana to be that number four starter for the White Sox and push Dylan Cease back to the fifth spot. Because at least with Quintana, I have confidence that you can get the ball to him as long as he buys a dishwasher and uh, (laughs) doesn't cut his hand. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have confidence you can get the ball to him, you know, 25, 30 starts, and he can go at least five innings for you and you're not burning up the bullpen so much. So if I had 10 million, now, if Jerry said, Josh, you can have whatever you want to spend, I would say, give me 20 million and I want Marcelo Zuna because I can't believe he's still a free agent. And if you added somebody like Marcelo Zuna to this white Sox lineup, oh, my gosh, like it'd be one of the most deadly lineups in all of Major League Baseball. And, and that's going to be something to watch on how the rest of this offseason unfolds. The White Sox have done a good job this offseason. But just like what San Diego has done and what the New York Mets have done this offseason, there is an opportunity for the White Sox to not just build a very good team, but to build a super team because so many teams are not participating in this offseason. And I would hate for them to look back and say, you know what, we did a good job, but regret not making that one extra move to, give your, to enhance your opportunity of not just winning the American League Central, but have 100% confidence you can go toe-to-toe with the New York Yankees. Because right now, that's what it looks like we are destined for, is that at some point, the Yankees and White Sox are going to cross paths in the postseason. And that's going to be your major hurdle if you want to get to the World Series.
1: I love the the Ozuna idea. And it's, it's I mean, like maybe you could get so like what they, like the deal they got with Encarnacion, and I, and I get that that in relative terms, that didn't work out for the Sox. But even if you could just get a one or two year flyer on Marcelo Ozuna, and that would be up to Marcelo Ozuna, that would be awesome. Right. But the, the other guy, and you can comment further on that if you want, Josh, but the, the guy that I actually wanted to, to ask you about was, is there any reason Zach Collins can't be a sturdy backup catcher this year to Yasmani Grandal?
2: It's just, it's been, we've seen him so much, and I sigh, because ever since he was drafted, everyone that you talk to would tell you, outside of the White Sox organization, I don't think he's a catcher. I don't think he's a catcher in 2017, 2018. I don't think he's a catcher 2019. I don't think he's a catcher. (laughs) So he's Schwarber.
1: He's Schwarber. (laughs) Um,
2: And, you know, it's like he should play more first base. But as far as backup catching goes, I think Yasmani Grandal is getting his mindset that he's going to catch 120 games. Okay. So now you're just asking somebody to sit back there and cover the other 42 games. And if that's the case, you could probably live with Zach Collins. I think what's more important for Zach Collins is that he needs to prove he can hit major league hitting because that's been the eye-opening experience. Everyone thought he can't be a catcher, but everyone thought he's definitely a major league hitter, though. He's going to walk. He's got some pop. We're not seeing that. And we're not seeing that because he hasn't had a lot of opportunities. And he didn't have a lot of opportunities in 2020 to prove himself. So if the White Sox do seem Dustin right now in their plans, on their marker board, that Zach Collins is going to back up Yasmane Grandal, that's fine. But he needs more opportunities to prove himself. So you, because it's 2021, he was drafted in 2016. We still don't know what Zach Collins is going to be for the White Sox moving forward. And it would be nice to just be able to cement that verdict and say, "This is what he is. This is how he can help. and If he can't help, then we got to move him to acquire someone that can help the roster."
3: We're talking with Josh Nelson of Sox Machine here on the Score. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody, with you. I found it. I, I have no reason to disbelieve anything that uh, Liam Hendricks says. There seems that there's an a guilelessness, and honesty about him. A a, a fearlessness about him um, off the, when he's off the mound as much as there is on the mound, and mm-hmm. I I I, wa- I read these quotes about he talked to former Sox players, he he loves Grandal as a defensive catcher any pitcher would, but talking about this group of guys previously on the team he talks about the clubhouse, and we see this group of guys as a group that lets their swagger talk as much as mm-hmm. their bats and they are that way and then he says Liam Hendricks I'm talking about says he loves old-school Tony La Russa. and I don't I hope those two ideas can coexist and yet they seem headed for some kind of showdown or if not a showdown I guess optimistically headed for some kind of some kind of being entwined that the swagger stays but the, the focus gets better, it gets a little more, maybe add some humbling, but and, and, and that leads to better play. I don't know, but I found that, am I just reading too much into it, the fear of Tony La Russa sitting on all that is good and exciting and charismatic about this Sox team? Well, see, the way I read that quote from Hendricks is that and he,
2: he raved about the White Sox after the postseason. In his mm. post game, after he closed out game three, he raved about the White Sox and you know, how big of a fan he was for this team and thought that they had a really bright future. On the old school comment from LaRusa, I took it from Hendricks as thinking he's not going to be afraid to pitch me four straight days. Mm. Like, if we have a two run lead in four straight games, I'm going out there closing that game. There are some teams that would say, Hendricks, you get two days and you get a day off. You get two days, you know, two off, two on, one off, two on, one off. And I think with La Russa, that if Hendricks is strong and he feels good, that no, I'm not going to have any off days. I mean, his goal is to appear in 81 games this upcoming season. That's really unheard of for a closer. And uh, you may want to save some of that energy and gas for the upcoming postseason. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, if, if Larusa, you know, kind of hooking on that old school comment, Hendricks has the must feel comfortable and confident and to get himself in a position where if they are playing against the Minnesota Twins, that yes, coach, I am ready. You can pitch me every single game. Don't worry about me. And I, I, that's how I took it from the old school mentality, because as we have learned with analytics and as far as roster management, that's not the case with a lot of teams.
1: No doubt about it. Um, one, one guy that I wanted to ask you about was Andrew Vaughn. And I'm looking very, very um, curious to see how, Jose Abreu follows up his MVP season, if that's, that's kind of what he is. Is he going to – has he got a couple of elite years left in him? But does Vaughn spend the year on the real roster next year, and is he, is he Jose Abreu in waiting?
2: That's such a high bar. I mean, if you look at White Sox first baseman since 1991, it is Frank Thomas, Mark, Paul Konerko, and Jose Abreu. You're talking about three guys that I think are going to have their numbers retired – and have statues in the concourse. So Andrew Vaughn is following some big shoes uh, in his upcoming White Sox career. I guess I don't don't
1: mean so much, is he going to be like those guys, but is he going to be eventually the first baseman of the
2: Chicago White Sox? Yeah, because you don't spend that high of a draft pick, not on a DH. He he is going to be the White Sox future first baseman. Are we going to see him this year? Absolutely. When are we going to see him? I don't know, and there's a comfort thing for me because there's a lot of people that say, "Well, he looked great right at Schaumburg." Who cares? Okay, that's, <laughs> that's not minor league baseball. He's facing the same pitchers all the time. He's facing his roommates. I need to see how he does when he goes on the road, and he, you know, he has a, a week-long slump, and we can watch him against opposing pitchers that have game, that have a game plan to get him out every single time. That's what I want to see, and I think that the way spring training is going to be set up, the rumor is that in February, it's only going to be the major league and AAA roster. So I expect Andrew Vaughn to be part of the White Sox spring training unit in February, which means when the season starts, he's either in Chicago or depending if all the minor league affiliates sign their player development contract, which, whoo, boy, there's a lot of drama there. Um, but if they do if they do agree yeah. uh, to sign it, uh, then I expect Vaughn to start the season in Charlotte. But if he wakes in Charlotte and he's proving, like, for example, my doubts, wrong, and it looks like, yeah, Charlotte is no test for him, might as well call him up because I put out a poll on Twitter today asking who would you feel more comfortable with as the starting, you know, the opening day DH, your Mercedes or Zach Collins, And I think a lot of White Sox fans are neither. I'd rather have Andrew Vaughn start the (laughs) season if those are my two options. Uh, So we'll see how spring training goes. But I expect him to start the season, Mark, in Charlotte and AAA to get some at-bats in against opposing pitchers and prove his mettle. Once he's done that, then I expect him to join the White Sox. And you'll hear Rick Hahn say, this is kind of like a big trade acquisition for us. Uh Because now we get to add an elite bat. To our lineup like Andrew Vaughn
3: well something to look forward to in this championship season josh we always appreciate your insight thank you for your time um, stay well be healthy
2: yeah absolutely you too guys and by the way mark you've done an excellent job covering the chicago bears mess uh, godspeed uh, enjoy this upcoming <laughs> off season. <laughs> uh, I know how tough it's going to be, but you're you're doing a great job. So thank you. Thank
3: you, thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. That's Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine, and you have done an excellent job, Mark. And you're going to continue doing it after this break. We're going to come back with what Mark heard, a wonderful segment that allows Mark to bring his reportage, reportage, and insight. And the sounds of Hallis Hall to our Saturday suckage airwaves. Speaking of these airwaves, by the way, 3 o'clock today, Rams at Packers. Our coverage on the score starts then. Rams at Packers. The Rams with the defense coordinated by a guy the Bears let get away, Brandon Staley, against the quarterback the Bears can cannot, never will, are hopelessly losing to. And and there you go, Rams at Packers. And then around 6:45 or so, also on the score, you'll hear the Ravens at Buffalo, the Bills playing at home, they're favored. This is welcome back to the 1990s kind of thing. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, what Mark heard. There was a lot to be heard at Hallis Hall this week. Mark will call it for us and bring it to our airwaves. Saturday Suckage. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio, 670 The Score, and 670thescore.com, Chicago Chicago sports station. Station. We don't have terms on this team.
4: It's time for What Mark Heard, a rundown of the best sound coming out of Hallis
1: Hall this week on Saturday Suckage with Mark Grody and Steve Rosenblum. Boy, everyone is stupid except me.
3: our new award-winning segment what mark heard mark grody tell us what you heard this week at Hallis hall and i hope to god you weren't wearing open-toed shoes based on what i heard this week at Hall.
1: well and and part of this is is i know that Everybody in our listening audience, and you too, Stevie Sunshine. You guys have heard a lot of it, heard a lot of it at nauseam that we've played. You, pr- you probably heard the press conference on 670 the score. So I tried to pick through some stuff that maybe hasn't gotten as much attention, but will moving forward. And they are the oh. most important parts of this team. So let me do it like that. We're going to start with hearing a cut because this happened this week too. We're going to hear a cut from Allen Robinson, and Steve, after we hear it, I want, I want to hear from you, because I haven't heard from you yet on this topic, whether or not you think Allen Robinson will return to the Bears. So here is Allen Robinson.
4: You know, again, I mean, it's nothing to take personal, you know, uh, in general. You know, and at the same time, you know, I do have a, have a great fondness for the city and for this organization, but unfortunately in a situation like this, it's not the only thing that matters, you know, so, but again, I mean, like I said, since day one, you know, um, I I have a ton of respect, you know, for the organization from uh, the McCaskey family you know, again, from the Peyton family, you know, our front office, our coaching staff, and everybody, And you know, I think everybody knows that. But, you know, like I said before, um, you know, sometimes in, in, in things like this, you know, uh, there, are, there are more things that, that weigh out than not, than just more than the fondness of something.
1: Steve, you think Allen Robinson's gonna return to the Chicago Bears next
3: year? No, I think he's saying all the right things. He's as coachable off the air <clears throat> as he is on the field. He's as coachable. I mean, how coachable off the field as he is on the field. He, he clearly was was instructed by his agents that you want to maintain all your relationships. And and as Mark Mark Podash astutely pointed out, that Allen Robinson represents all the things the Bears said about their culture and getting along and working and playing well with others and being Boy Scouts. It represents everything more than winning, because the Bears don't know how to win. But they know how to how to grade people that <clears throat> that part of the press conference with George and Ted, McBeavis and Butthead talking about great culture and, and you know, liking each other, smiling in the hallways, everything except winning, because they don't know how to win, but they don't know how to judge but they do know how to judge someone smiling. I still believe that somebody in that football organization is gonna realize your money has to be spent, your attention and your money. Has to start with the players closest to the football. I realize you'd be losing your best offensive player. There's nothing in this offense that really means you have to spend all that money on him. I think they're going to start with where the football is, the quarterback, the offensive line, and work their way out. And the receivers are the last ones to get the big money in a salary cap that might be pinched a little. So, all right. I think everything you. That's why. Yeah.
1: Now that, that all makes sense, man. The only, I, I will disagree a little bit. Okay. I do think he's going to get the franchise tag, which means he's not going to be here for long. But I do think that they have to do that because we we indicated a little bit earlier what's left in that wide receivers room. If Alan Robinson doesn't return for at least one year, because yeah, I think Darnell Mooney is for real and he was good for a rookie, but he's still got a ways to go in his development and, and towards becoming a number one. I don't know if Anthony Miller is going to be back, and if he is, I don't know how much they're going to depend on him. And then, I mean, we've seen what they think of Riley Ridley and Javon Wims as receivers, and, you know, Ridley spent most of the year inactive, and Wims spent a lot of the year blocking. So I just think that it's imperative that they come up with some way to do it, and I don't think it's going to be by way of extension. And that brings me to this. This is is Ryan Pace talking about – And I I believe, yeah, this is the question that I asked him. I asked him if he, when when Robinson was going through that kind of cryptic social media phase where he was expressing his displeasure, remember that? I asked Ryan Pace, the general manager of the Bears, if he talked to him around then.
4: We did talk, and and Mark, it's always a balance with, with players in season with their contracts. You're always trying to stri- strike a balance. You don't, you never want that to be a distraction. But ultimately, I care about Alan, and, and you know, and his focus. You know, so Alan and I have talked about that. Alan and I have a good relationship. He's a highly intelligent football player, and then of course Joey Lane has had regular dialogue uh, with his agents, especially at that point in time. But you know, I think those things. You know, it's a, it's a it's a two way street. And those are just things we got we got to work through you know and without getting into the details and specifics but to answer your question yes i did talk to alan about it and we have had a lot of discussions about that
1: well and i think the the most important part of that steve was what ryan pace said that it's a two-way street so that mm-hmm. says to me that they they hit a point in the negotiations where both sides just weren't agreeing that robinson wanted more and maybe he wanted the most of any of the guys that got paid wide receiver-wise. And there was something in there that, you know, I, I'm inferring from what Pay said, a two-way street means that they did, They heard something that, that they didn't like from Robinson's side.
3: I think you're right. I think that's good. We had, originally, you brought to the airwaves the idea that Allen Robinson heard something for him to just sort of tamp down the rhetoric and, mm-hmm. and just go about his ways that it— something that would be done or there was an agreement of we're at where we're at where we're at the season needs to be the focus and we will pick it up at this point after the season so I, yes. I you said that you noticed that immediately and i'm and you were right robin ryan pace said you were right now we'll see how it plays out
1: yep Yep, they talked, and that's why we didn't hear any more of the passive-aggressive talk from Alan Robinson yeah. from that point on. So, um, okay, <laughs> let's uh, let's go to let's go to Matt Nagy because we didn't hear much from Matt Nagy throughout all of this. And um, Steve, and you can comment on everything as it pertains to going out and getting a quarterback, whether it is Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy. But I thought it would be interesting to hear from Nagy on the the need to settle on a quarterback evaluation process because I do think that there should be a lot of voices in the room when it comes to getting the quarterback. Here's Matt Nagy.
4: There's so much that goes
1: into into that process and and there's a lot of different things that that go into finding the different traits and the skills on and off the field at that position. And again,
4: how you do it, how you go about it. And again, I I could just go on and on about that part of it uh, and there's a lot to it, but that's something that uh, again, Ryan has experience
3: doing, I have experience doing And we just need to figure out our best way together.
1: And and honestly, see, this is one time when the collaboration process is not something we should make fun of, because I think it's incredibly important that, that there are lots of voices in the room, indeed collaborating on what direction they go, how they scout the quarterback, how they get the quarterback position, right?
3: I would agree. And I'm, I'm all about, I'm all about active dissent. The the sort of the team of rivals, as it were, the political term that is applied to, applying it to football. I'm all about that. There are two problems with that. Well, well, there are many, but but in this particular instance, ultimately one person has to make that decision, and that one person, based on the the hierarchy, means that it'll be Ryan Pace, who has been a quarterback putts in all three areas. He has blown the quarterback decision in free agency in Mike Glennon. He's blown it in the draft in Mitch Trubisky. And he's blown it in trades with Nick Foles. And he still has the final word. That part of the whole collaborative process scares me. And the idea of there's nothing wrong with figuring out what the system, what matters, how it works, going this way, going that way. Who are you gonna Who are you going to go with? But that, off, that offensive line at the end of the season, which arguably was the, the Bears most consistent and best look at offensive lines, mm-hmm. came about through sheer desperation, injuries, whatever it was. They were down to those guys. This was not something the Bears brass, the coach and the general manager and the coaching staff actively decided upon. This is something they were reduced to that would lead me to question their whole idea, their whole ability to collaborate and get it right. I don't have, a, I don't have any doubt they can collaborate. I just have <laughs> reasons to doubt that they, they can get it right because I've seen where they haven't. Anyways, that's, that's Stevie Sunshine is not shining today. So.
1: Yeah, no, I, I understand. And that's why I, I feel like you, your voice needs to be prominent today, as if it's not always prominent. But I know you it's been, <laughs> that you've been waiting, you've been waiting some time to get some things off your chest. I totally get mm. it. Um, All right, let me move. And and the offensive line will be interesting, too, in this offseason because we know they figured some things out. But you get James Daniels back, what are they going to do with the tackles? You know, is Charles Leno and Bobby Massey back next year? I mean, that could be completely revamped even for for next season. So that's something to watch as well. Um, All right, now let's get on to the salary cap and the space that exists and how aggressive the Bears will or will not be in this offseason. Ryan Pace talking about will you or will you not commit to being aggressive with cap space?
4: As you know, every year there's ways to create cap space. And those are all important decisions that we have to make. You know, it kind of starts with that, evaluating our own roster and talking about some of those things. That's real. That'll be out throughout our whole team, though. And then, you know, analyzing what's out there in free agency and but being conscious um, and being responsible, uh, knowing exactly what you're talking about. And then, and then really understanding the, the draft and, and the depth uh, in the draft at certain key positions is important.
1: All right, Here's I want to see if you agree with me on this, Steve, that in the NFL, desperation is good. And I guess you could use the example of 2018. That was a desperation season for for Ryan Pace. It was really the first year in which he was starting to get some heat, having been hired in 2015 and not having had a winning season. It was the first year It was like, all right, you, you hired your new coach, but there's not going to be a honeymoon because – You got to get it right. So he goes and gets Khalil Mack. The Bears were twelve and four. He's GM of the year. Matt Nagy is coach of the year. Do you think desperation will suit the Bears well going into what is a must-win season?
3: Uh, Desperation suited them well on the offensive line. They had no choice. Desperation to bring back Mitch Trubisky to beat bad teams. Look, they they were looking for an offensive identity. They can beat bad teams. There's your identity. Um, they reluctantly ran the ball. The only reason they did is because Cordero Patterson was hurt. They had to go with the one running back that they drafted. They traded up to draft because he was a running back. So a lot of it, a lot of what the Bears have done well or been more successful at has been out of desperation. So, yeah, Mark, you bring up an interesting point, and I would think they have a better chance out of desperation because forethought hasn't worked much with them.
1: Yeah, and this season was, man, like I asked the question on the radio earlier this week, like what was this year to you? Was it was it 5 and 1? Was it Owen 6? <laughs> was it
3: 3 it was and an 0, 0. And two at the end? It was yeah, and 2 at man. the end. That's that was your thing. Two great two playoff teams, two really good teams, a rival and a team that you 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 thought you were going to grow up to be and you got spanked. Yep. That was it. 0-2. Yeah. You, you can say
1: 0-6 and 0-2 and and were the two were, were what defined this season. Because there was that point during the winning streak where I was like, okay, maybe this is for real. Maybe they can be good. And then, no, they, they were not on par no. with no. the good teams. No, no, um, no. All right. One more, Steve. All then. This is, as you know, I think you may have even tagged this, the mom show. It's the mom show from Gene Grody. To um, Alice Studzinski, to Mama Thayer. Mama, Mama Thayer. Thayer. Amen. I think we may have a new candidate to the mom show with this question that I asked of Cole Komet. Cole, I'm going to ask you this. How fired up was the Komet family over the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty? Were they pissed?
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... I mean, my mom was upset because she knows her son would never do anything like that. So, uh, yeah, so she was a little fired up at the game. So, um, like I said, is what it is at this point.
3: Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, we need Mama Komet. We need oh, Mama yeah. Komet to come on and just see what the, the degree, um, how, what What was her, t- we take her temperature. And we talked to her about. You know, being in the city, you're you're in the city, and there's your son. He's doing this, and he got better. He was a huge bright spot. He was a an example of a Ryan Pace offensive draft choice that that yes proved yes. That by the end of the year he got better. The arrows pointing up. He was providing all the things you need. He could catch. He could block. He'd be big and and thrilled to be there. So I wanted. Yeah, we need to talk to Mama out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we're gonna see that. if we can you do uh, that. We're gonna see if we can arrange that. That would be great. She has a chance to be a star mom on this show. And everything yes. you just said was right. Not only all that, but
3: Cole Komet will run your ass over, which I love. Right, right. That's that's good. All right. So we'll look forward to the Mama Comet moment. Maybe she could be a regular on this show, but I I like that whole idea. That's the value of having a, a hometown kid doing it. So all right. What Mark heard, they, we're actually talking about football as opposed to Clown College, so I really like I that? really like that. Well selected, well done. Thank you, um, thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we have uh, Bachelor Number 1 is now producing the show. Trash Panda's on his way. We have to call Alice and just say he ditched out on us. Again. And we have some more text to read. And the confluence of the Venn diagram that brings Sports Radio and the Wake and Bake Club together, besides our show, but it's a, it's a story after the heart of our show. So I'll bring, we'll bring that to you. All that next, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
1: This is Sports Radio 670 The Score
3: and 670thescore.com, Chicago sports station. Damn, Willie, man, like, do we suck? Yeah, we are. We're Saturday Suckage. Thank you for joining us. We're also the Wake and Bay Club. The WB Club has some, and and, and we'll get to that right now. Earlier on Saturday Suckage, Mark wondered, he's Mark Grody over there, he wondered where people were listening to us, how they were listening to us, what they were doing. And he told mm-hmm. you people not to drive. It's okay to smoke a fatty, but you can't drive and text. Anyways, 847, one of the selected ones, we were going through it, but I wanted to—I selected this one. I'm listening on radio.com. Sure. I'm listening on the radio.com app on the red-purple line to my medical marijuana dispensary in Evanston.
4: Weed! <laughs> <laughs> Bake on,
3: Bake on so boys. Great. Neil from Old Irving Park, which leads me to, this is the Venn diagram of what we do on the Wake and Bake Club and Saturday Suckage when we're doing sports. This week, demand was high on opening day for Gage Cannabis, a medical marijuana dispensary in Grand Rapids. A long line of cars stretched out as shoppers waited to close waited for close to an hour before they could make their purchases. So this pot medical marijuana dispensary mm-hmm. comes to Grand Rapids. The man in charge of making sure the new pot shop is a hit is Drew McCarthy, a former radio host <laughs> known as Big Drew during his radio career. He had a successful stint at a uh, four-letter network offshoot up there, 96.1. And he proudly quotes this like a radio guy. Quote, number one afternoon show for men in 24 to 55 for a number of years. Had a great run, but everything comes to an end. So Drew McCarthy has a new gig as general manager at Gage Cannabis because of his familiarity with the product. I made a switch to cannabis," he says. Instead of alcohol, all these pills to treat anxiety, depression, and ADHD. Now it's a much healthier, happy me. That is our Venn diagram.
1: Steve, that I think that's. Here. I know that you're living the the Chicago Tribune buyout lifestyle, but I think that you should should be an employee at one. Because I know you're not trying to do all the hard work in life these days. Maybe you don't need to run the place. I think you should work at the counter of one of those places.
3: No, I would. I that would be great if I knew enough about it. I would. Toby. Toby would be the guy to to know so much about that. He would be the hero. weed. Yeah, sativa indica. That would be. that, that to, Toby could just, you know, but he would be the guy for the. If we had the W B Club, store, Toby would be our guru. He would be our management expert. And you and me he would be. just be back talking to people. That's what we Here's doing. a few
1: more of uh, where people are listening, because I just wanted to credit these guys, for, uh, guys and gals for tuning in. a lot of them, in. yeah. I know, man. I know. I'm just trying to get just packs I agree. of them here. Go for Moving it. Moving into a new home, streaming on the radio. Uh, cr- I love this. Cranked on the garage stereo far, far away from the house. Buying chicken wings for the Packers game from the 847 Yoga pants. I thought that deserved it. Uh, it's the greatest thing ever. Yoga pants. That sounds um, like a it, score
3: caller's name, a moniker on the score <laughs> caller. <right>. Yoga <laughs> yoga pants from Berwyn. You're kinda on does. the phone. Ah,
1: uh, yoga pants.
3: Um, is
1: is um, let's see. Listening in Bluffton, South Carolina, in a Target parking lot. Um, let's see. Cleared litter every day. Grody, you're a cat B. LOL. Well, I don't, I don't change the cat litter every day for Dave the cat. I just clean it out. If you know what I'm saying, that that Dave deserves that.
3: Um, that's so funny the, that was. There was there was just enough less there of cleaning, clean it out, clean it out. I clean it out every yeah. day. A lot of people switch the litter. I don't. I scoop the poop.
1: Okay, <laughs> yes, that's what I do go. for my cat. That's what there I do. Um, love the radio.com app uh, from the 309. <laughs> Ripping a bowl, cleaning the house, and chowing leftovers. And he, and he puts his name, Andrew in Iowa. God bless you, Andrew. I hope you're enjoying it, buddy. Um, let's see. A couple bears text. Oh, I'm listening. Well, I, to, like the, well, I
3: like this one because it, yeah. it it shows how what a healthy lifestyle we breed at the Wake and Bake Club along with Saturday Suckers. 630 had texted an hour ago, laundry and COVID walking inside. What else can I do? 5,000 steps so far on my way to 40,000 for the day. Whoa. Down down 50 pounds. Thank you, COVID, and the score for sucking my pounds away. Wow. That's wow. a tribute well, to us. We are big, but we're, we're pleasers, not teasers. We're givers, not takers. That's what makes us American heroes. We'll do that for you.
1: We are heroes. And the, here's, a, here's a competitor for the guy in the, the Target parking lot. I'm listening from a Menards in Minnesota waiting for a refrigerator. Keep sucking.
3: We do. We yeah. do. You know what? We have um, we have to take a break. and we come back, we'll be doing – next hour is going to be busy. We're going to be doing What Are You Doing, Wagner? We'll be talking with Mark Gonzalez, our deluxe Cubs writer, who's not the Cubs writer for the Tribune anymore. And we'll bring you the interview that Liam Hendricks did with Danny Parkins and Cody Decker. But – as part of What Are You Doing, Wagner, we have yet another mom chapter to bring you. This, great. This this is epic. This is just a great thing in the the world that we live in today. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. Thanks for listening to Saturday Seconds. Wherever you are, however you're doing it, however much weight you're losing, and whatever bathrooms you're cleaning, we appreciate all of it. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.